Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into Hometown Ghost Stories, Cursed Possessions. Tonight, we're going to talk about the Dybbuk Box. In Jewish folklore, the Dybbuk is a disembodied human malevolent spirit that wanders restlessly until it finds a haven in the body of a living person. At first, the Dybbuk was believed to be a devil or a demon, which would possess an individual who was already suffering from some sort of sickness. Later, it was believed that these demons were the ghosts of dead people who were not yet laid to rest, and these ghosts became demons. Belief in the Dybbuk seemed to originate in the 16th century or at least that's when it became the most prevalent. Victims in the area of northern Israel, who were suffering from nervous or mental disorders, would be taken to a rabbi who were believed to be the only people who could help them expel the Dybbuk through a religious rite of exorcism. Isaac Luria was a mystic in the 1500s, and he laid the grounds for the Jewish belief in the Dybbuk. He came up with an explanation of why Dybbuk seemed to take human hosts. He also believed that these hosts didn't always have to be human. It was related to the transmission of souls, a process which moves lower forms to higher. Isaac believed that the Dybbuk is the soul of a person who did evil things in life. Due to the crimes or evil acts that they committed, they would not be allowed to transmigrate, so their soul would seek refuge in the bodies of living persons. The entry of the Dybbuk into a person was a sign that said person had committed a secret sin which opened the door to the Dybbuk. It will enter the human body and cleave to its soul, which would often cause mental illness. It would talk through the host's mouth and represent a completely separate personality. Isaac and his disciples wrote down many stories, which included protocols about the exorcism process in relation to Dybbuk's. This would either result in transmigration or sending this evil entity directly to hell, ending what Moses Cordovero called an evil pregnancy. So how do we get from demonic possession, rabbis, and exorcism in the 16th century to Dybbuk boxes being sold on eBay in the early 2000s? Well, there were two incidents that seemed to reignite this phenomenon from 2001 to 2004 in Oregon and Missouri. In downtown Portland, a man named Kevin Manis was out looking for small items that he could fix up and sell at his furniture refinishing business. He ended up at an estate sale where a family was selling items previously owned by their grandmother, who was a Holocaust survivor, and she had recently passed away. He purchased a bundle of items, and one of those items was a small wine cabinet. Before he left the property, the granddaughter called out to him and said, quote, I see you bought the Dybbuk box. Familiar with the history of Dybbuk's, Kevin asked what she was talking about. She explained that this is what her grandmother used to call the box that he had just purchased. She went on to say that whenever anyone would ask about the box, her grandmother would warn them never to open it. Kevin took these items back to his shop and placed the Dybbuk box in the basement. The box was locked, but that didn't stop him. He removed the lock and opened the box. Inside, there were several items. There were two pennies, one from 1925 and another one dated 1928. There was a black candlestick, a small wine goblet, a granite statue that had the word Shalom in Hebrew carved into it, a dried rosebud, and there were also two locks of blonde hair. Kevin found this odd, but didn't think much of it. There was also an inscription carved on the back of the box in Hebrew. He left it in the basement and went about his business. Later that day, a sales clerk named Jane was organizing items in the basement. As she approached the box, she claimed that she felt the sensation that she was being watched. She had never gotten this feeling in the basement before. She shut off the lights and started to head back upstairs. But just then, the lights turned back on and glass items began crashing to the floor. She said it sounded as if somebody was in the basement with her, smashing items with a baseball bat. Not only that, but the iron gate to the basement slammed shut and locked. She was trapped inside and she called Kevin. She was afraid that somebody was in there with her, vandalizing or robbing the place. 
Kevin hurried back to the store and found that the door was indeed locked. But he had never locked the door to that basement. He found his keys and entered. He was immediately overpowered by the scent of cat urine, which he found odd since they never had any animals down there. He flipped the light switch, but the lights wouldn't turn on. So he grabbed a flashlight and took a look around. He noticed that every light bulb in the basement had been smashed. Jane stormed out and never came back. There was no intruder, and there was only one entrance to the basement. Kevin had no other explanation at the time than to just blame her for the incident. About two weeks later, on Kevin's mother's birthday, she came by the shop. Her name was Ida. She had a seat across from the box, which Kevin had decided to give to her as a birthday gift. As she sat there, she looked at the box, and she said that it felt like it was looking back at her. She opened the box, and she felt a cold breeze. She described the feeling as pure evil that paralyzed her. She immediately knew that she was having a stroke. She fell back in her seat, unable to speak. She couldn't warn Kevin or anyone else that this box was evil. The paramedics could see the tears and terror in her eyes that were fixed on that box. All she could think about was how important it was to convey this message to her son that this thing was evil and he needed to get rid of it. She ended up pointing to a sheet of paper which had the alphabet on it, and she spelled out this message to her son. The message was, no gift. Kevin didn't understand, so she tried again, spelling out the words, hate gift. Eventually, the box sold, but the sale wouldn't be final. It would soon be returned with a note on it saying, quote, the box had an odd darkness about it. After a few more unsuccessful sales, Kevin started thinking he was never going to get rid of this thing. And then the nightmares started. He would be walking with someone that he loves or trusted in his dreams. They would then stop and look at each other. But as he stared into their eyes, this person would change into an evil, old, demonic-looking hag who would then proceed to beat the ever-living hell out of him before he woke up. These nightmares got worse and worse, and they became a little too real. Kevin would wake up with bruises and other injuries all over his body. At this point, he knew he had to get rid of the box. He was convinced that it was cursed, and so was his sister, as well as her husband, who experienced the same nightmares when staying at his house. They also witnessed a shadowy figure form in the house, drifting down the hallway, accompanied by the smell of cat urine and jasmine flowers. Kevin decided to list the item on eBay and disclosed everything that he had experienced. He figured that someone who had an interest in the occult might want it, and whoever bought the box would know how to get rid of it properly. A few weeks later, it was sold to a college student in Missouri. The student and his roommates were skeptical, not fully believing that this thing was haunted, but they were certainly curious. They started noticing that electronics around the house were malfunctioning. Laptops crashed. The Xbox wouldn't turn on. Their watches wouldn't work. And their toaster would incinerate anything they put in it. Also, the light bulbs would burst, leaving them in complete darkness. This was followed by terrifying events, including one roommate who woke up with blood-red eyes and an infestation of insects that seemed to come from nowhere, but would swarm all over the Dybbuk box. Sam, who purchased the box in particular, was the most affected. He became more reclusive. He started seeing things out of the corner of his eyes, and his hair started falling out. The images he was seeing out of the corner of his eyes took the shape of a shrouded dark figure that would follow him around constantly. They all decided that it was time to get rid of the box. The next buyer was Jason Haxton, who was following along with Sam's blog as he was constantly updating everyone on the hauntings that were going on. Haxton was the director of the Museum of Osteopathic Medicine in Kirksville, Missouri, and he had an interest in these sort of items. The box arrived in Missouri, and Jason immediately examined it under a black light. He found traces of candle wax, which led him to believe that this box may have been used in some sort of ritual at some point. Within days of this box being in his museum, the computers were crashing. Light bulbs began flashing and bursting around the Dybbuk box. The staff felt that their energy was being drained. Haxton knew he had to take this box out of the museum for their own safety. He put it in the back of his truck and took it home. He started having nightmares of old women with sunken eyes. Their faces would evolve into ghastly injuries as if their flesh was being torn and ripped from their faces. 
Then the nightmares would repeat themselves over and over again all night long. In one particularly horrifyingly vivid nightmare, one of the old women drove her fingers into his eyes. When Jason awoke and looked in the mirror, he was horrified to see that blood was dripping from both eyes. A few nights later, he was watching TV with his son when the two of them saw a black mass form in the living room. This foggy silhouette took the form of the old woman from his nightmares. This was the last straw. He had scientifically and forensically investigated the box and had no explanation. This had to be something paranormal. He brought the box to an abandoned rental property and placed it in the basement. When he returned home, he became ill and his wife broke out in a brutal rash. So Jason did some digging and found out that Kevin was the one who originally posted the item on eBay. He reached out to him determined to get to the bottom of this. Kevin agreed to go back to the house where he originally bought the box. He was greeted at the door by an old woman who introduced herself as Sophie. She was the cousin of the original owner who had passed away. They had lived together in Poland prior to World War II. One of the things they would frequently do back in Poland was try to make contact with the spirit realm. They had made a Ouija board of sorts out of a tablecloth with embroidered letters. The first few times they tried it out, they had no luck. But one night, they swung a pendant that was attached to a chain over the top and started asking questions. To their surprise, they made contact with a spirit that kept spelling out the same message over and over again. The message read, Release me. They were understandably concerned about this message, so they contacted a rabbi who believed that this was a dybbuk who was trying to grab hold of one of their souls. With the help of the rabbi, they performed a ritual to trap the dybbuk inside of a box. That box was this wine cabinet. They sealed it off and she never opened it again. The dybbuk box was one of the only items that she brought with her when she migrated to the United States. She always kept it in her sewing room, out of reach of the children and grandchildren. She even requested upon her passing that the box be buried with her. But this wish would never be fulfilled due to Orthodox Jewish burial customs. Sophia warned Kevin not to open the box because whatever was inside was evil. But obviously this was far too late. Kevin explained these developments to Jason, who contacted various rabbis to find out how to seal the box for good. Haxton sold the rights to the entire story to Hollywood, and the Sam Raimi film The Possession was released in 2012. This was an okay movie that was loosely based off the timeline of the Dybbuk box and the hauntings that surrounded it. Haxton later sold the Dybbuk box to Zach Baggins to display in his haunted museum. In 2018, Post Malone joined Zach at the museum for an investigation where they removed the glass case surrounding the Dybbuk box. Post was clearly not comfortable with the situation, and he wanted out of that room. A string of bad luck followed Post Malone after this experience, where his house was broken into, he got into a car wreck, and his private plane had to be grounded after a mechanical issue. Several of these incidents could have resulted in his death. Post and his fans believe that he may have fallen victim to the curse of the Dybbuk box. The box remains at Zach Baggins Haunted Museum in Las Vegas to this day, and staff as well as visitors are convinced that there is still something evil surrounding this cursed possession. And then there's the theory that this whole story is a hoax. According to Chris French, who's the head of the Animalistic Psychology Research Unit at Goldsmiths College, quote, owners of the box were already primed to be on the lookout for bad stuff. If you believe you've been cursed, then inevitably, you explain the bad stuff that happens in terms of what you perceive to be the cause. Put it like this, I would be happy to own this object, end quote. Kenny Biddle, who wrote a column in The Skeptical Inquirer, reviewing the Dybbuk box, says that the box is not a haunted Jewish wine cabinet, but instead it's a minibar from New York. He believes that Kevin Manis created this whole story to sell an ordinary and incomplete minibar. His main piece of evidence was a screen capture of a Facebook post, allegedly from Kevin himself, made in 2015, which states, quote, I am the original creator of the story of the Dybbuk box, which appeared as one of my eBay posts back in 2003. How about this? If you or anyone else can find any reference to a Dybbuk box anywhere in history prior to my eBay post, I'll pay you $100,000 and tattoo your name on my forehead. In 2021, Manis apparently also told writer Charles Moss 
that the box was his own creation. Quote, I am a creative writer. The Dybbuk box is a story that I created. And the Dybbuk box story has done exactly what I intended it to do when I posted it 20 years ago, which has become an interactive horror story in real time. So what do you think? Could this whole thing be a hoax? If the guy who originally posted this thing on eBay is now saying that he made the whole thing up, it certainly leaves some questions to be answered. But it does make me wonder. It wasn't Kevin who sold this story to Hollywood. It wasn't Kevin who sold this box for an undisclosed amount of money to Zach Baggins. That was Jason. Jason is making the money off of this thing. To me, it sounds like maybe Kevin is a bit bitter that his story has become so profitable for some guy that he's never really met before. Is it jealousy? Is it a curse? Is it a hoax? I'm Jesse Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Cursed Possessions, The Dybbuk Box. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hometown Ghost Stories, Cursed Possessions. Today we're talking about the Dybbuk box. I'm Jesse Wilkins. I'm joined by Rob Coakley. Hello, Rob. This is a really interesting one that you found. I'm glad we're covering this. We're also joined by Dave. Hello, Dave. What's going on? Not too much. And we have a special guest for today. Coming back on the show for like the 19th time is the one and only Captain McSlugs. Welcome in, Andrew, Captain McSlugs. Hi. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. So... <laughs> This is one that's been on the list for a while. It's one of the more popular and mainstream cursed possessions that you have out there. There's been movies about it. There's been documentaries about it. These items are still for sale on eBay. Like you can go on eBay right now and just find yourself a haunted Dybbuk box. They range in price from like a hundred to a couple thousand dollars, depending on how haunted it is, I guess. And this is something that's, that's pretty popular. I mean, the, um, the box itself is in Zach Baggins Haunted Museum in Las Vegas. And there's a lot of controversy around it. The very end there, you I thought was very interesting. And it caught me off guard because you said that that guy said he invented... The, did he invent the term Dybbuk box? Is that something that never existed before? Is so that the claim? A, there's a few things about this. And even like the, the Facebook post. And I guess we could jump into it now. But... He didn't create the Dybbuk. The Dybbuk has been a thing for thousands of years, okay. or at least hundreds of years. It got real popular in like the 16th century. There was like this phenomenon going on where basically they, they thought that Dybbuks were possessing people. And to me, when I heard about this ghost or this demon or whatever it is, it reminded me a lot of a wraith. We covered that in our History of Ghosts episode where it kind of just wanders around and attaches itself to people. But there were some things that made it unique so whether it's like the wraith of israel or it's just a different name for the same kind of ghost there are some differences with it where at first they believed it would attach itself to people who were already sick and we met, actually mentioned this on tuesday's episode but the other thing was you had to kind of commit some sort of a secret sin to make yourself open to getting possessed by this dybbuk they did get rid of it via exorcism Obviously, it's a different kind of exorcism, and you've mentioned this before, where each religion kind of has its own form of exorcism. So this would right. be the, Jew the Jewish religion. And it seems like it changed a little bit. Now, I was a little bit questionable on the, the way that they thought this thing turned into a demon, because I don't think ghosts, I don't think it's widely believed that ghosts can turn into demons. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? No, I mean, well, it depends on who you're talking to and what culture and what version of a demon you're talking to. But the idea for most religious demons is that they are non-human and they are, whether they're fallen angels that turned into demons back then, or they're just malignant entities that existed far beyond or far before humans existed that are just, you know, creatures that exist on, on, on the planet. Mm -hmm. So it seemed that if you felt... Sorry, go to go back to what Dave was saying before, um, it sounds like the Dybbuk has been around for a really long time. They just haven't been packaged in boxes until 2003, right? 
Right, or when this is when the box got purchased. So this would this apparently happened before World War II. Oh, okay. With Sophia and her cousin, they were back in Poland, and they were Jewish, and they had been performing these rituals, kind of this Ouija board sessions with not exactly a Ouija board, but it was with a tablecloth that had some letters on it. They were swinging this uh, pendant over it that was attached to a chain, and usually they would have no luck with it. But so to, they would declare it. to clear something up before we get away from it. Was Kevin saying that he invented that story? That's what the skeptics alluded to with these posts. Now, in his most recent interview, it sounded like he was saying, I made this whole story up. But in that original Facebook post that they clipped, it sounded like people were saying that the theory of Divic boxes had been around for a while. And it sounded to me like he was not saying that the story was fake at that time. It sounded like he was defending himself, saying, "No, I was the first one to put a Dybbuk box on eBay." But they kind—it of, seemed like the skeptics kind of twisted that into him saying that he made the whole thing up. Gotcha. Now later, later on, it sounded like he completely backtracked and said, "I made this whole thing up. I'm a creative writer." All right. What we need to know is how do I get this man to give me a hundred thousand dollars and tattoo my name on his forehead? That's what I was saying. Because if we can figure out. That this did exist before he came up with the story, then he owes us a hundred grand. Put hometown ghost stories on your forehead and give me a hundred grand. Sucks. Or Dave sucks. I'll, <laughs> I'll accept that. I'll accept it. Yeah, I think it, I think this is more of him making his claim to fame, saying that he was the first person to list a haunted Dybbuk box on eBay. That's what that first post struck me as. Is there any historical evidence of a Dybbuk box existing before this one? I don't know. Like, but did I mean, the term Dybbuk box even exist before this one? I'm not sure, but it does seem like this was a practice is that you could trap an evil entity inside of something. And we went through this in San Antonio with Christian and he went over this process and he flat out did this process for us. Right. So he did his ritual and conjured up a Kikimura and put it in the box that is now at Andrew's house. But even this happened after all the Dybbuk box stuff came out. So Mm -hmm. the idea that you could do that, had existed. Now I know when they're doing exorcisms, one of the one of the practices that they'll do is they will take the spirit or they'll exercise the, st- the spirit out of a human and into an animal, right? Like they use chickens sometimes, they use pigs. The ancient theory is you can get rid of the demon and you can expel it from a human, but you have to put it into another living being because a demon's not going to be dumb enough to possess an inanimate object. Hmm. So was the Dybbuk box the first time that a malign spirit was bound to an inanimate object? I would wager that it is not. I'm just thinking that his what he's claiming and what this $100,000 deal is, is that he was the first one to put one up on eBay. And now they're all over eBay. I screen grabbed a post of an actual box for sale on eBay right now. But there was a whole bunch of them. I may be able to clarify this a little bit. So in 2014, a skeptical author named Brian Dunning investigated the Dybbuk box legend and determined that the whole idea of the box being inhabited by a Dybbuk is nonsensical, according to what a Dybbuk is supposed to be. The Encyclopedia Mythica describes it as a, quote, disembodied spirit possessing a living body that belongs to another soul, end quote, and usually talks from that person's mouth. An important 1914 Yiddish play, the Dybbuk, was about the spirit of a dead man who possessed the living body of the woman he had loved and had to be exorcised. So nowhere in the folklore literature is there precedent for a Dybbuk inhabiting a box or any other inanimate object. They had been performing exorcisms on these folks for a while, right? Hundreds of years. So like Dave saying that you could pull it out of a victim and put it into an animal or something. Mm-hmm. And what's to say that a rabbi couldn't perform a ritual to put it inside of, to trap it inside of a box or something. We don't know the rules of this situation. Someone, they could put it in a, in a box like this. This might be the first quote unquote time that it was put in a box or he could have made this story up, but Dybbuk's are a thing that have been around for a long time just to validate what you've been saying. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You also don't really know what you're going to get when you mess with Ouija boards. And that's something that we've done extensive research on. We did a whole episode just on Ouija boards alone. And this was essentially what they were using. It wasn't an actual board. It was a tablecloth. But the ritual, if you want to call it a ritual, that they were doing 
was very much similar to what you do with a Ouija board. And it's been said that when you open yourself up to that, you don't know what is going to come out. So I don't discount the original story, but I do have questions. So now it's like the whole credibility of this entire story is really shaky with him backing out of this, this story. Now he's saying basically like I made the whole thing up, but if you go back to, there was an episode of uh, paranormal witness on this and they interviewed people that were tied to the original case. And, uh, and it wasn't just Kevin with his story that he is now basically saying is bullshit, but they interviewed his mother who had a stroke when she opened the box and Mm -hmm. she was genuine they interviewed Jane, who was the clerk who was working in the basement when the box first got there and all the light bulbs started smashing, and she was genuine. And it seemed like a real authentic interview process. So were they all in on it? I mean, is, did Kevin say, hey, I need you guys to lie about this? Hey, Ma, I need you to lie about having a stroke. This the, stroke is, the stroke could have been coincidence, right? It could have been coincidence, but the, the woman was terrified, and she was convinced that this box was the reason. And she had said when she opened it, there was a cold breeze that rushed out at her and pushed her back into a chair. And she just had a stroke in that moment. It could have happened. You're right. I mean, she was an elderly woman. There was a, a the picture that I included of the older woman in the video portion of this. That was her. And so could it be, it could be a coincidence that she had a stroke at that moment, but she didn't know what this box was. She didn't know it was a Dybbuk box. She didn't know it was anything bad. This was a birthday present for her. Right. Sounds like and, she could have also feared it for, 60, 70 years. And I don't know, maybe the stress built up. And once you finally open the box. No, that's the, we're, uh, different we're talking one. about two different people. This is a woman. This was Kevin's mother. Kevin had bought the box at an estate sale, brought it back to his store. And then he decided that he was just going to give it to her as a birthday gift. So they stopped by the store a couple of days before Halloween was her birthday. And he's like, Hey, you know, here's this birthday gift. Happy birthday. And then she opens it up and has a stroke. She had okay. never seen it, never heard about it, didn't know what it was, didn't know that it had any kind of history, didn't know it had a Dybbuk bound to it. Neither did he at that time, or he kind of did. Which, I mean, if there's the possibility of that, that's a pretty shitty gift for your mom. Yep, not not great. <laughs> not great. But if if he'd handed it to her, and then when she took it out of his hands and at the same time had a stroke, you know, coincidentally, she might have been afraid of the box because she believed, oh, my God, this box gave me a stroke even though mm-hmm. it was, you know, coincidence. Right. Easy way to whittle down who your favorite child is. Well, this one gave me, you know, a it's gift card to a restaurant. <laughs> this one gave me a stroke. So. <laughs> <laughs> but which one is more memorable? <laughs> Olive Garden or stroke? I mean, it is the never ending. What is it? I don't know what they do there. I won't go there. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Strokes. Oh, I thought you were talking about the strokes. Yeah. Oh yeah, the never-ending strokes. Yes. You can either you can either have never-ending breadsticks or never-ending strokes. Choose wisely. Which one do you want? <laughs> but then you also had Jane, who had no reason to defend Kevin. She, at that point, she had quit and she never went back to the store. So why is she going to lie about this? I I don't know. And then from that point, he listed on eBay. And these college kids buy it. It seemed like they were kind of buying it as a joke or something fun to do. Yeah. Sounds like something we would have done back in the day. Yeah. I mean, we literally just bought one last year. So (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't rule it out. Sounds like something we would do today. Yeah. (laughs) Back in the day, 20 episodes ago, you know, anyway, (laughs) but the, these guys bought it and they also had, experiences and they were up they were live updating this on a blog and it it gathered enough attention to where the next buyer was was following along with these guys posts but he started experiencing these nightmares and the nightmares are pretty terrifying and very similar to what kevin had claimed that he was having full disclosure when he sold this box he included the whole story right every little detail about what was happening around this thing the nightmares uh the lights bursting the smell of cat urine just all this kind of stuff was all laid out for him right so the skeptical idea is if you know what to look out for then you you're expecting it right and you're going to think well this is the only cause has got to be this box 
I smell cat piss. It's got to be this box. Might not be my, you know, we live in an apartment or a dormitory. Maybe someone has a cat that pissed, you know, but you immediately, the box is the cause, right? He started having these nightmares, but if all you're thinking about before you go to bed is how, oh man, I hope I don't have this nightmare about the old woman. Guess what? You're probably going to have a nightmare about, right? That's the skeptical side of it. The other thing is there was a lot of stuff that you can't really explain. And if we're just going to take them on their word for it and buy the story, and I don't know if he was including pictures and in with his blogs and stuff, but the whole insect infestation was something new. I don't think that really happened with Kevin, excuse me, with Kevin, but it did happen with these guys where all of a sudden these bugs are popping up out of nowhere and they're swarming all over the place and they're centering on this box. And we kind of experience that with our box where it's not insects, but it's dust just gravitates towards this thing, right? It's always dusty. With this one, it was insects. These insects just were crawling all over it. And that was something new. Then his hair started falling out and they would wake up with these like blood red eyes. And that was something new. But it wasn't the first or last time that this whole bleeding from the eyes phenomenon would happen. This would happen with the next buyer as well. So these college kids, I don't know how long they had it for, but they ended up selling it to Haxton, who ran that museum. So he had an interest in this already. He was following along with the blog. He was basically waiting for these kids to sell it. They threw it up on eBay. Bids started coming in. It was getting viewed a whole bunch of times. And at one point, he just doubles the current bid. And instead of, you know, it was like 140 bucks, he doubled it up to 280 or whatever and closed the deal and got the box. So it leaves these guys, you know, the college dorm goes to this museum. And as soon as he brings them in this museum, then all of a sudden these hauntings start happening there as well. And this was a scientific guy. He was interested in this stuff, but it seemed like he was more of a guy who was interested in proving that it was a fake and proving that there was something scientific behind all of this. There was an explanation for all of this. Can, can I just cut you off? Cause I want to talk about the college kids real quick. I know they were doing a blog. Did we have, I know early 2000s camera technology isn't what it was, but it wasn't non-existent. Were they documenting any of this via video that you saw, or is this just literally all blog and, and stories that we're going off of? I didn't see any of the original content from them. Um, I'm not sure if it's still out there or not. Okay. So I don't have an answer for that, but I'm sure somebody does. So if you got some info on that, send it our way. We'd like to follow up on their experiences with it. It's hard to it's hard to take a bunch of college kids who kind of bought this thing as a joke anyways, and it seems like they might have had some motivation to keep these stories going. If they're getting a bunch of clicks on their blog, all of a sudden they're getting some publicity out of it. Might have mm -hmm. been a little bit of clout chasing. Maybe they were making up some of these stories. But they interviewed one of the roommates. They didn't interview the the kid that actually bought the box and was being heavily affected by it. His name was Matt. I haven't seen any interviews with him, but I have seen interviews with his roommates who backed up these stories. And he was saying that like towards the end, they were really worried about him. Like he was becoming reclusive. He was depressed. He was, he was by himself a lot. And he started seeing these shadow figures out of the corner of his eyes. And it got to a point where he said they were following him nonstop. It wasn't just something that he would see flit by in the corner of his eye. This was something that was fixated and following him and he couldn't sleep. He would go in to his buddy's, his roommate's bedroom and just sit on the edge of his bed because he didn't want to be alone with these ghosts. And when he sat on the bed, he said it was the only place that he felt safe, but that didn't stop these shadow figures. They would just stand in the room with him. It's like this kid was going out of his mind. So they all collectively agreed to get rid of the box at that point. That's terrifying. Terrifying Weren't there some stories from these college kids that they also started being affected or am I combining two different? You, you no. might be right about that. No, I thought they were all affected. Just one in particular was like more heavily. Exceptionally. They were all seeing the things. I don't know if they all got sick, but they might've, but they were all experiencing electronics malfunctioning their watches weren't working the xbox wasn't working at least one of their laptops completely crashed everything started going wrong in this house what's funny is they had the um the haunted toaster which uh, anything yeah, yeah. that they put in it would, it would incinerate it and i was thinking about how i just <laughs> posted like a joke video on facebook or our, our facebook group the hometown ghost stories group with this woman who had her haunted toaster and i don't even know what that was from but it was a hilarious video and she just 
they're like, are you going to get rid of it? She's like, no, it still makes good toast most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but she clicks the, the thing down to toast the toast or whatever, and you see flames shoot out of it. So all I can think about when I'm recording that part of the episode was this insane toaster. It's the ghoster. The ghoster. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Pulled toast. Not good. Oh. That's oh. all right. So they sell it to this guy, and like I said, he's like a scientific guy. So he, he brings it in. And immediately everyone in the office starts feeling that their energy is drained. The lights start going crazy, which was the common denominator with all these hauntings. The light bulbs are literally bursting inside the office. And toaster geist is what you wanted. That's what to- I was. That's so I was better. <laughs> Get in line, Rob. We were all going to say it. We were all going to say it. <laughs> I saw you all stirring. I'm like, something good is coming. We all have the Get same joke geist. in mind. A toaster geist. Very good. Uh, so he found traces of wax on this thing which led him to believe that it was part of some sort of a ritual at some point. And now when you see these, you see these Dybbuk boxes for sale, they are covered in wax and it does make it look significantly more creepy. So if ever you want to creep up our little poltergeist box there, Andrew, just pour a bunch more candle wax on it. I don't know if that's really piss it off. Just really do. (laughs) I don't know if this is recommended. Wax is what we use to seal it. Right. But we didn't use enough according to all of these images. They got like they put like voodoo dolls on top of these things now and they just cover these things in wax, just just sealed shut. I like mm-hmm. how demons can possess a person, make them crawl up walls, give them inhuman strength, can like predict the future, like it can predict impossible events, and then you put it in a box, but it can't get out. All right. Well, what I would like to do... It can't use any of that inhuman strength to break through candle wax. Right. Or, oh, okay, here's one. It can walk through walls when it's in ghost form, but it can't get out of a box. It's like uh, lobsters are immortal unless killed, but defeated by elastics. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Do it, Dave. Do it. <laughs> Rob, you had an idea. What was it? Uh, well, Fine. Dave wants to talk shit about these boxes. I think we should put Dave in a box. Seal it with a bunch of wax and see if he can get out. I bet he does. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think that's going to stop him. But he gets elastics over his hands. Yes, so, with elastics. Yeah. Seal that bit shut. Good luck, Lobster Dave. I'll be you able. I'll, I'll break out. I just won't be able to lobster dance. He won't be doing his lobster dance when he breaks out. No victory dance for Dave. Mm. So where where are you on this, Jesse? Do you think it's a hoax? Do you think it's real? There's something there because. For everyone to experience this stuff, I don't know if he accidentally put the wrong kind of items in a box to make this thing have some sort of bad aura to it. Maybe his original story is true. I do find it really hard to be like, well, now he's lying about his story being fake. It seems much more likely that his story was just fake. It doesn't add up with all of the things that have happened with this box. And it just seems to me, and I I mentioned this at the end of the video, was... It seems to me that he's really jealous that his story is now being made into Hollywood movies. This guy, is it Jason? I now forget. But the the, the guy that, Ke- uh, no, Kevin was the original well, guy. Jason is the Jason. one who sold it to the. Yeah, Jason is the guy making all the money off this thing. He wrote a book on it. He sold the movie rights. He then sold the box to Zach Baggins for an undisclosed amount of money, which this is like the centerpiece to to his museum right now. So I can only imagine that he probably paid a pretty hefty sum of money to it, uh, to obtain that item. So it seems like to me, I feel like Kevin's probably like, dude, what the hell, man, this was my idea. Right. And he's probably pissed that this guy is making all the money off this stuff. He probably made a decent amount of money and it seems like he's bitter about it. And he's fighting back online now after, by the way, he was also on the paranormal witness episode telling his whole story behind camera again, this wasn't even that long ago and in saying it was all true. So it's not like he's been so denying he's simultaneously it. Trying, he's simultaneously trying to get famous off it while being bitter about not being famous on it and just telling contradicting stories. Mm-hmm. It seems like and he's if changed, you are, changed. And if you're a writer, why aren't you the one writing the story about it? Like, why aren't you writing a book or whatever about it? If you're such a, you claim to be this talented writer you still you still yeah. can tell your own stories and write your own experiences with the box. Could have you don't you don't need to own it at that point. Yeah, I don't know if because Jason had sold the rights to the story that 
that ship has sailed or not, but, yeah, but not, see, not to just, yourself. You can't, you can't, right. I can't go out and sell a story that involves you. And then you go, you can still go do what you want to do with your personal experiences. How much you want to bet he did write a book or did try to write a movie. Probably and it just sucked. It. And <laughs> now he's pissed off that Jason wrote the good one. And he's, he's just a bitter, a bitter dude. That's, that's you know kind of what I gather. Uh, you know what this kind of reminds me of is Amityville. When the lawyer got cut out of the book deal and immediately turned bitter and mm. then started going around saying it was all a hoax. And he was like the one who started the whole Amityville is a hoax yeah. thing mm-hmm. for a very similar reason. I'm sure you see this kind of stuff all the time. It does make it harder to believe, but I think he just, he just strikes me as a better person. Andrew, where are you at on this? I have to agree with you. If I sold mine and someone cashed in on it, I'd probably be upset too. As then, as a person that's never been bitter in his life or held a grudge against anybody for an extended period of time, <laughs> I just don't. I just don't know how to how someone would live that way. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, you're definitely not that guy. And then you had the whole Post Malone thing. So this is this was a a subject that I didn't really know where to put it. It fit into every category. Could have been a dark mystery. It's definitely a cursed possession, and it also could have been celebrity hauntings. You had Zach Baggins and. Uh, Post Malone involved with this thing. So Neither Post- of them are dead. Wouldn't right. made a great celebrity haunting episode. Oh, well, it's haunting a celebrity. So mm. I guess, if it's best yeah, in the Curse Possessions, I believe. Yeah, you put it in the right plot, place, but that would have been an interesting twist on the celebrity hauntings. Yeah, the Post thing like made national news a bunch of times. TMZ was covering it. I believe I pulled that from ABC, the video footage that I used there. It made it all over the place because right after that episode aired in 2018, his house was broken into with people targeting him. I don't know if they were going to kill him, but I don't think he was home at the time. Then he got in a bad car accident, survived that, but it could have been fatal. And then his plane almost crashed. So they had to like emergency land it. It was a private plane with just him and his crew on it. And it was like, all these things happened like back to back to back. And everyone's like, what the hell's going on, dude? You're having some serious bad luck. Sure enough, this was just after the Dybbuk box incident at the haunted museum. Post didn't touch the Dybbuk box. And I don't even know if they actually opened it in the episode. I haven't seen the whole thing. I can't find it. I think it might've been like a Halloween special or something, but Zach had his hand on the Dybbuk box and the clip and then post touched Zach's shoulder. So people believe that because there was like a chain reaction there that he could have gotten mm-hmm. cursed from it or whatever. I mean, apparently if you're even just close to this thing, you can get cursed by it or whatever. So we don't really know what the rules are on this thing, but apparently post had been cursed. It seems that his luck is uh has changed for the better as of late. Seemed like it was something brief, but kind of. Did he cool just little... fall off the stage a couple months ago? Uh, yeah, that's why I couldn't go to the concert three times in a row. But <laughs> yeah, what is the point of binding a malign spirit to a box, sealing the box shut, if it can still fuck with you like that? It well, can the make thing was planes in... crash. And like, well, no. You... Here's the thing: is this thing apparently didn't start messing with anyone until. Kevin opened the box. Right. Once he opened the box, then all hell seemed to break loose. The The grandmother who was the original owner, Holocaust survivor, she kept that box with her and she kept it closed. And she, she kept warning everyone. This is one of That's three. Why she wanted to be buried with it. Exactly. Like no one this is one of three items that she took with her from Poland to the United States was this box. This is assuming that this woman even exists. Right. Because now we don't know if this story is true or not. But apparently she had said that she wanted to be buried with it. Allegedly, Orthodox Jewish customs says you can't be buried with items like this. I'm sure it's kind of a pain to just wedge a giant box, wine box into your casket or whatever. You know, So they uh, they denied that. But we don't know if this story is real. So it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky one. How was our record keeping back in the 1940s? Mm-hmm. Better well, than the period. 1840s. Definitely better than the 1840s. Which is astronomically better than the 1740s. Yeah. yeah let's not even talk about the 1640s here. All right. <laughs> Which is actually around the same year that they <laughs> started getting popular. Anyways, didn't think we backtrack that far. I think not. Look but at they that. They weren't packaged. They were never packaged in boxes. <laughs> they didn't package. You couldn't just go UPS in your Dybbuk's around. <laughs> 
like it could you in know. 2022. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So if you're interested in this sort of thing, you can uh, go ahead and buy yourself a Dybbuk box. They are for sale all over the place, whether or not they are legit. That is interesting. And another interesting detail about probably purchasing. Not. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, probably if you're not. buying it on eBay. 99.9% chance. It's not go get one on the dark web. Let's just start with this. Apparently, according to witchcraft, you're not supposed to actually purchase one of these. If you purchase it, then it kind of like null and voids the, the demon or something. Yeah. This was, this was according to a documentary yeah. that I just you watched know. on this. Apparently you're supposed to technically trade for it. And if you remember when we dealt with Christian back in the San Antonio episode, He's like, I recommend a donation for a trade. He's like, I'm not selling you this. You are trading me money. And this was actually in a, uh, it, we're like, okay, sounds like we're buying it, but sure, here's the trade. I will trade you this money for this item. But it's an important detail because you're not supposed to buy things it, it, with this situation. You're just supposed to, you're supposed to trade for it. So you are trading something to get something. Right. Yeah. Maybe Christian just didn't want to pay taxes. That's what I thought it was. But now that I read this detail, there's an interesting kind of found footage movie that I had just watched. Um, it, it was only about an hour long. It was okay. Uh, it's better than some of the found footage stuff that I watched. <laughs> what? Did you guys hear that? Yeah, oh, yeah, Jesse. I think you were just possessed <laughs> by a demon. <laughs> Why would I, I don't know what it was <laughs> wait till you go back and listen to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean keep this in because what happened? You you were a demon. I thought a dog was growling and just also this is Jesse's voice going <laughs> no way. Go back and listen to the audio. It was the weirdest thing. It was 60 minutes long. <laughs> See, we started talking about trading for objects and not actually using currency. Anyways, uh, the movie was called Dybbuk Box, the story of Chris Chambers. In this movie, I don't know if this is actually supposed to be a true story and supposed to be actual found footage because they say it is. And I don't know when people are lying to me and I have trust issues after watching this documentary because they really made it seem like it was. It was actually pretty well done. And basically, it's the same story, right? He but he buys this thing offline. He buys it on the dark web and receives it. And you can watch the movie. I won't really spoil it for you. There's nothing like too, too crazy that happens. Why stop spoiling movies now, Jesse? You're, <laughs> you do it every week to something. Well, it's exactly what you think is going to happen, right? He opens the box and <laughs> lights start flickering. And anyways, he dies. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe, but I, I will say with this movie, which was mediocre, the, the, Part of this movie where I thought, actually, I think this is probably fake, was he brought in like a lady friend who came over and she grew up in a haunted house or whatever, but she was so obviously reading a script. She was a not a good actress. And I was like, oh, at this point, I actually think this movie might be completely fake. But then I guess. And the Dybbuk had tuberculosis. That's that's a Jesse spoiler. Oh, I get it. Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. Oh, wow, oh, Dave. Thanks right. for spoiling it for people that didn't listen to that episode. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, okay, so I'm on the fence about this one, honestly. I don't know if we already went around the round table of where do we, we stand. Did. We did? Okay, yeah. So I'm kind of on the fence, but I'm, I'm, I think there's something going on with this box. Let us know in the YouTube comments down below. What do you think? Is this a hoax? I know I, I, I specifically went into all these details because I really wanted to cover all the ground of people that say it's a hoax and why. And the big X factor is Kevin, right? Bitter old broke ass Kevin. <laughs> I don't think he has a hundred thousand dollars to pay us if we find a sale of this, but I'm just glad we brought on our weird box expert, Captain McSlugs. That's right. How is uh how is our poltergeist in a box doing? Just fine. Just sits in the cabinet. No developments. No developments. Didn't it throw a pan off your wall recently? You sent me the video. Oh yeah. 
Shit just falls off my walls in this house. I don't know. <laughs> but, Whatever. Yeah. Nothing happened. No, 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 no developments. Just extreme poltergeist activity. <laughs> Other than that, it just flies around. <laughs> Big tornado, you know. It's just whatever at this point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Well, I think that'll pretty much do it. Anything else on this one, gentlemen? Going to do it for me. All right, let's thank our patrons real quick. We have Allison V, Jeannie R, Justin T, also Justin T, Lisa J, Mallory K, Mike Oubliette, Blake, Mom and Pops W, Robert H, Stephen V, Demon King, and Irish Assassin Gaming. Also Robert H, if I didn't just say that. Those are our VIPs. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you. For everybody else, we have Ambie Rose, Anna C, Even Better Hometown Ghost Stories, Garrett, Lily, IDGIF, Batch, Jake V, Janice G, Marfire, Rachel B, Sarah Cook, Stephanie A, Sydney B, Al Capone, Anthony T, Ashley M, Brandon W, Captain McSlugs, who is here. Thank you, Captain McSlugs. Uh, we have Brennan B, Cody G, Eric S, Huggy Bear, Joe R, Kiralee J, Mark M, Matthew T, Mariah M, Papa Squatch, Paul from St. Louis, Sarah R, Scotty L, Solar Flare, Soph, Hooper, and I believe we actually just got one brand new one as we were doing this episode, which is Donnie N. Thank you so much, Donnie. And welcome in. Also, big shout out to Mallory for, I believe she bumped up to the $20 pledge to the VIP section. So thank you, Mallory. And yeah, we appreciate you guys. We'll be back on Tuesday, brand new live episode. You can follow Captain McSlugs on TikTok and Instagram. Just search Captain McSlugs and you will see all of his ridiculous accordion videos as well as many outfits that you've seen in stock footage on hometown ghost stories because <laughs> Captain McSlug is our resident hey do you have a costume of this guy and he always does real quick I just want to bring out the Patreon as we um, went over all the members we're going to be doing some extra stuff for them as well and we're and it's going to be pretty much not told to them until the day of or the day before and um, it's some fun stuff. It might be a movie watch along. Might just might just tip off what it is real quick. But we might be doing a movie watch along with some of our Patreon members soon. Sounds like fun. It shall be a good time. Yeah. Well, for uh, myself, we're gonna Rob, show up at your house unannounced. <laughs> One Pop hour in a, a Dybbuk box. <laughs> Pop out of that thing with wine bottles. <laughs> time to watch a movie. <laughs> So, uh, anyways, for uh, Rob, Dave, myself, Captain McSlugs, and broke-ass Kevin, we'll uh, (laughs) see you guys on Tuesday for another live episode of Hometown Ghost Stories. We'll see you.